Amen. We had August as a month of miracles, and God's done mighty things. We've, we've had some tremendous answers to prayer. And the things that Carolyn read uh, earlier in the service, just a, just a hint, a, a little bit of, uh, of what God has done. So many of you sitting right here have had answers to prayer. You've testified to it. You've said it. Changes of jobs, increases in income, uh, uh, answers to prayer, uh, uh, not only finding jobs, but, but uh, I've had a, I saw notes of a couple of people sent, sent in said that they received cars. Uh, I, I don't know what else happened, but so many good, good things have happened and healings and, and victories. So, and God's not through. God's not through. Just because August is over, God hasn't stopped working. We're in supernatural September now. And, and the Lord willing, I plan to preach in October on overflow. All the month of October, I'm going to preach on overflow. And I plan on the first Sunday of October to preach on overflowing faith. The second Sunday, I, I plan to preach on overflowing hope. The third Sunday, I expect to preach on overflowing love. And the fourth Sunday of October, I, my plan is to preach on overflowing grace. I'm always subject to the Lord changing what I believe he's given me. I do believe the Lord, however, has given me these messages and is working on them in my heart to deliver them. And, and I'm already feeling certain things as I read and study that uh, I think I want to say about faith, hope, love, grace, and perhaps even beyond that. But I just let you know coming, we've got, we've got good things coming. And, and the way we grow, the way we grow in the Lord is, is in prayer and His Word. We, all the wonderful things that we do, testifying, singing, listening to other people, singing and worship, all that's great. But the way we grow in Christ is by knowing the truth because it is the truth that sets us free. God's Word brings us deliverance, freedom, and salvation, and victory. And we grow in the Lord in His Word. So I want to share with you this morning a message that I have called Intercession for Intervention. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will bring a great anointing upon this service this morning in these next few minutes as I deliver this message that I believe you've put on my heart. And I ask, Lord, that I will deliver it not in my own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit, not in my own wisdom, but in the wisdom that you've promised to reveal to us in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in every way, Lord, may the anointing and power of your holy presence be upon this congregation as this word is preached, delivered, and received into our hearts and into our lives. Use this time to grow us and to draw us into that relationship with you that is honoring to you and that brings great victory and great benefit into our lives. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're going to do today in the remainder of this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. The Lord speaks to his people 
and I believe speaks to us in the words that he's recorded there. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. This is what he said. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found none. The latter part of that verse is plaintive and sorrowful. We don't want that to be the case in our time. We don't want that to be the case in our church. We don't want that to be the case in our generation. In our land, in this time, in this day, in this critical hour, God needs people to stand in the gap. The King James says to stand in the gap and make up the hedge, to fill the place, to fill the place that is broken down, to make up the gap in the wall that guards the people of God and the work of God. God is always looking for the person to stand in the gap. God's always looking for an individual. God's always looking for a man or a woman or a young man or a young woman. God is always looking for someone to take the place in the area of need and in the hour of his preparation to fill the gap, to make up the loss, and to be that person who will stretch himself to cover that which is lacking because others have not done what God has called them to do, because there's been failure and there's been fault, there's been dissipation and degradation in the kingdom of God. But God wants to raise up people who will fill the gap, who will fill the opening left by those who have failed and faltered, left by those who have not done what God has called them to do, God wants us to hear his voice and stand in the place as intercessors, as those who cry out for the presence of God and for the power of God to be manifested, demonstrated, and displayed in our midst. That is what God is calling some of you to do, perhaps many of you. And when God speaks and you hear his voice, the greatest thing you can possibly do is say, yes, Lord, Yes, Lord, your servant hears you. I will answer your call, O Lord. Jesus filled that place in a mighty and powerful way. He is the intercessor of the ages. He's the intercessor of eternity. He's the intercessor of all intercessors. Jesus filled the gap that nobody else could fill. There was no one else could do what he did. On that cross, Jesus filled that place, that space that was between God and man, that separated God from man, that kept man from knowing God, kept man from walking with God, kept man from serving God. And now, in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, he's filled that gap. And we can now enter into the very presence of God into the presence of the eternal intercessor of the ages and engage with him in intercession for the needs of the people of God, for the building of the kingdom of God, and for this display and the demonstration of the glory of God.
He's opened the way for us to come into his presence, boldly to his throne, he said, to make our petitions known that we may find grace to help in time of need. That's overflowing grace. I'll get there sometime later. That's the beginning of overflowing grace, coming to the throne of God, boldly decrying, these are our needs, O Lord, and these are our petitions. And God, in his mighty grace, allows us to find grace in the time of need when we cry out to his name. Jesus is the intercessor who draws us into him. And the more we're drawn into him, the more we're intercessors who are filling that gap, who are filling that opening, who are making up for that shortage that has happened because people have failed God. There's one God, the Bible says, and one mediator between God and man who can reconcile God and humanity. The man Christ Jesus, that's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. It's a great statement in God's Word. It's a powerful statement. There's, there's only one God. There's one mediator between God and men. There's one intercessor. One, only one who stands in between us and God. But that one who stands there makes it possible for us to come to God and bring our petitions to God and know that they're heard and know that God by his mighty Holy Spirit is moving to answer the prayers that we bring to his throne. This is what the Hebrew says. I read it in the Amplified Version after I read several others. And I read it to you from the Amplified Version. Therefore, speaking of Jesus, he is able to save forever, completely, perfectly, for eternity. He is able to save those who come to God through him. Since he, listens to this, since he always lives to intercede and intervene on their behalf with Father God. He always lives to intercede and to intervene. Actually, intercession leads to intervention. Intercession isn't complete until there is an intervention, until God intervenes in our affairs and takes over and does things that we cannot do, until the power of God is manifested and declared in such a way that that we know this is God This is God because God said it, because God spoke it, and now God's doing it. And we know this is God. He not only as God, not only does Jesus intercede, but he intervenes in our affairs, and he answers prayer in that intervention. This is what intercession is. I may be backing up a little bit. Let me clarify this to you. This is what intercession is. It's just a dictionary definition is all this is. Intercession, a prayer to God on behalf of another person. Now, that's Jesus' intercession. Always speaking to God about us and on our behalf. Intercession for us is when we act as intercessors and we are seeking God on behalf of someone else. And then it goes on to say that intercession is... The act of intervening, that is stepping into the gap, taking over and causing something to happen 
in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own ability, not in our own capacity, not because we are strong enough to cause eternal shaking, but because as we pray and seek God and God uses us and he draws us into that place of filling that gap, God by his power begins to shake and begins to move and begins to answer. And we see, things, we see things happen that we could not do, that we could not make happen, that could not come about because of our own reason, our own logic, and our own ability. It comes about only because the power of God is supernatural and above all other power. And God moves to answer prayer in his own way. Hallelujah. So intercession, interceding, has with it that part of intervention. Not only does Jesus speak on our behalf to Father God, but he also intervenes in our affairs. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That's why we know he knows us and can take care of all that we bring to him in a supernatural way. Praise God. So he intervenes. This is the definition Define it just a little bit more. This is what to intervene means. To step in. To interpose. It actually can even mean, though there might be a little bit of negative connotation in this, take it in a positive way. It also means to interfere. Sometimes I want God to interfere with things, don't you? I want him to interfere with things that people are trying to make happen in a certain way. That the world is causing to go this direction. That the world is saying this is the way it's supposed to be. That the world philosophy says we teach it and therefore it's right. This is what the court said. This is what the Congress said. This is what the judge said. This is what somebody said. It doesn't matter who as long as somebody said it beside the church and besides the Lord. It must be right. I want God to interfere in those kinds of things. I want him to step in and make his will known. I want him to step in and let people know that he's God. I don't have to say it. He can prove it himself. He's God and God alone. I want him to interfere in the affairs of men. And frankly, I've got some things in the affairs of my life I want him to interfere in too. I welcome him. Come on in and take over, Lord. I won't be offended if you take over and do things I can't do. I'll just glorify you and say, Lord, your intervention, your interference, Lord, is good. I'm glad to have you take over. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So the things that you can't do, the things that you can't accomplish, you would if you could, good things that you want to happen, God wants to move in and take care of those things, take over those things, and bring his answer and bring to pass things that we could not do, but God by his mighty power can do. So, so when he interposes, he just puts his will over our will. He puts his plan over our plan. You know, you, you've, you've got your own little plan written out. You've got it all in book form. Looks so nice. You know over here on page three, this is the way it's going to be. And you've already got page six planned out too. You've got your whole little plan already put together. And then one day God just comes in and he lays something right on top of that plan. And he says, I got a plan that's better than yours. (laughs) 
That's when he interposes his will. And he says, my plan is better than yours. My way is better than yours. My will is better than yours. I'll do it for you and I'll do it better than you could do it yourself. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, so he steps in. He interferes sometimes. He interposes when we're willing and yielded to him. He just puts upon us what he knows that we need and he knows better than we know ourselves what we need. He knows better than you know what you need. Oh, you may have your plan laid out and you say, oh, I, I, this, is, this is where I want to be and this is where I want to go. God knows better what you need and what will be better for your life than you could ever possibly know. So the way we win, we win on that is to allow him to take his place and allow him who intercedes for us daily with the Father, constantly, regularly, faithful, all times, constantly, never stopping, who speaks on, the, on our behalf to the Father. That's why we're forgiven, and that's why we stay covered in the blood of Jesus. And then in all of that, he brings us into that plan that he has for us, and he develops that which we cannot develop for ourselves. And then finally we see God's way was the best way after all. So... So here's the classic verse on, on intercessory prayer, the verse that probably most everybody here knows. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. He says that we can intercede for the victory of the Lord, for the restoration and for the healing of the land, for the victory that only God can give. We can intercede for that, pray for that, and believe for that. And when we do, God answers prayer and brings us the victory. Hallelujah. The early church was a praying church. That's why I believe it's so important for us to be a praying church. The early church was a was a praying church. They sought God. They prayed faithfully, fervently, consistently in all things they prayed. They were just like we are. The Bible makes it clear they were men and women just like you and I. In fact, the Scripture says of Elijah from the Old Testament, he was a man of the same passions that we have, same emotions that we have. And so were all of the early believers all the apostles were men just like we are men. Women who are described in the Bible are women just like we're women, not just like you are. They had to pray. They had to reach out to touch God for answers from God, not what they could do, but what God could do. And when tragedy happened, when hardships came, they turned to prayer and they sought God. Remember when they put Peter, uh, well, let's, let's start with Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were thrown in jail in, 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 uh, in Philippi for preaching the gospel and for getting some people angry who didn't believe what they were preaching and who had the authority to get them arrested. So they were arrested and they were thrown in jail. And the Bible says that they prayed and sang praises at midnight. They prayed in the hours of the night as they were there manacled to the walls in the jail, imprisoned with the, with the bars between them and freedom, with the doors locked, 
They began to pray and praise God and cry out the glory of God. And as they did, God sent an earthquake to shake the jail and open all the doors of the people who were in prison there to the extent that the jailer, thinking they were going to escape and knowing he'd be held accountable, was ready to kill himself. So Paul cried out, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. We're not going to escape. And the man gave his heart to Jesus and his whole family was saved. But the important thing I want to tell you is that these men, when they got into dire circumstances, difficult, complex situation, and were dealing with circumstances that were beyond their own control, as we face many times, did this. They prayed and sang praises to God. And when they prayed and sang praises to God, God moved and God answered prayer. And God delivered them. You remember when, when Simon Peter was arrested and thrown in jail? We've, we've sometimes smiled at the humor of the way this turned out. When the little girl came to the door and, G, and Peter was there and she didn't recognize it. Or she thought it was Peter and the rest of them didn't. What happened was Peter was arrested, put in jail. And the night before they were to try him, and if they had had a trial, they would have executed him because they'd already executed James, the brother of John. So Simon Peter's in jail, and the angel comes, taps him and wakes him up and leads him out of the jail and sets him free. And the reason that happened is because when he was arrested, the church, the body of believers started to pray and seek God earnestly. And this is what the Scripture said. So Peter was kept in prison while he was there, Fervent, this is Acts chapter 12, verse 5, fervent and persistent prayer for him was being made to God by the church. So they were fervently and consistently praying for him. So Peter was delivered when the angel set him free from the jail, and he walked out and went to the place where the people who were believers and who were prayer warriors were gathered. When he walked up to the door, he knocked on the door because they had it locked to keep themselves protected. And a little girl named Rhoda came to the door and she heard him and she looked out and saw that it was Simon Peter and she ran. She didn't open the door. She ran to tell the other people, Peter's at the door. And not one of them believed it. They said, it can't be. You're mistaken. He's in jail. No, he's at the door. They say, well, you've, you, it must be his angel. It must be just something you're just seeing that looks like him. No, no, I recognized his voice. It's Simon Peter. Finally, she persuaded somebody to go to the door with her. They opened, look, there he's standing waiting to get in. Because God had answered prayer so mightily, so powerfully, so wonderfully. And listen, friends, sometimes, sometimes it, it isn't just our faith. It isn't just our faith that gets an answer to prayer. Sometimes God's answers to prayer are greater than our faith could possibly be. God does greater things than we have the ability to believe him to do. But the important thing is to pray and then let God do what he wants to do in the way he wants to do it. But we've got to pray even if we're not convinced God's going to do it. 
It'd be better if we are, but sometimes, sometimes things just grip you and it's hard to hold on to faith and it's hard to truly believe that God will do what you're asking him to do. And usually when you'll stay faithful to God and you'll keep on praying, not turn loose and not give up, but keep on praying, not only God may not do what you're asking him to do, he may do something greater than you've even asked him to do. Because he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can even ask or possibly think. That's how great the power of God is to move in our behalf as he intercedes and intervenes in our lives. So God gave them a miracle. And, it's, and it was wonderful, it was powerful that God gave them a miracle. Then they rejoiced when they saw it happen. It was beyond They were praying for it to happen, but it was beyond their believing that it could happen. I just want to tell you, friends, God doesn't say that you have to have perfect faith to receive something from him. What you have to do, I'm not saying pray in unbelief. I'm certainly not saying that. But I'm saying that we do not have perfect faith. Sometimes we're praying and asking God because we know it's God's will. We know God wants to do it. We can't see any other reason other than that God would do this. And yet, we find it in, with with this veil of humanity that that we still live in, we find it difficult to actually believe that God will do it. And then God comes through and does things, maybe something a little different from what we ask, but always something that's better, always something that's bigger, always something that glorifies His name and brings honor to Him. So whatever you're struggling with, and you think it's too big a load, even too big a load for you to believe God for, don't stop praying about it. God will come and do something even greater than what you're asking Him for, because God, not only does Jesus intercede for us and God hears and answers, but also He intervenes, He interposes, He interferes, He does those things that we cannot even believe Him to do, because God's greater than our faith. Hallelujah. I hope you heard that last part. I said God is greater than our faith. God is greater. His his power is greater than the power of our faith. His power is greater than the power of our prayers. God is greater than we can believe him to be. And he'll do bigger things than we can ask him to do. God is not limited. Hallelujah. He has no restrictions on him. He can do what he chooses to do and he chooses to do good things for us and do powerful things for us and move in our lives in supernatural ways and move in our lives in supernatural ways. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I wrote down a couple little quotes about prayer that I read during the course of the week and I particularly like this one. Fear not because your prayer is stammering, your words feeble, your language poor. Fear not because Jesus can understand you. (laughs) He can understand what you're saying. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You know, this morning I felt like preaching, as I preach you this morning, that's the end of my message, by the way. 
I usually try to know enough to stop when I get through. But just one little addendum here. I, I kept thinking this morning while I was preaching, well, I'd like to have somebody on the organ behind me this morning. You know how? Yes. God is good. Dun, dun, dun. 